Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I am thrilled to welcome Sola Elway Lee to The Stacks. Sola is a chef, beloved food personality and restaurant tour. Her first cookbook is called Start Here, Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook. And it is truly one of the best cookbooks I have ever read and ever cooked from. It's a New York Times bestseller aimed at home chefs of any skill level who are looking to improve their technique and learn the fundamentals of cooking. I have learned so much from this cookbook. Sola and I talked today about how she created this fantastic book, food-related New Year's resolutions, and racism in the world of cooking. As a reminder, our book club title this month is Erasure by Percival Everett, which I will be discussing on Wednesday, January 31st with our guest, Zach Stafford. Everything we talk about on every episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. Listen, it's a new year. It's a perfect time to join The Stacks Pack at patreon.com slash the stacks. That is our community over on Patreon for people who like the show and want more bookish fun. When you join, you earn perks like our virtual book club, access to our Discord, plus you can join our amazing brand new mega reading challenge, which is 52 book prompts that are super hard and challenging and fun and will encourage you to read more and read more diversely. Plus, from now until the end of January, you get access to the Stacks Reading Tracker, which is one of my favorite perks that we only offer for a limited time every single year. It'll help you reach reading goals and even just get into a better practice of reading. And the most important part, at least to me, is that if you join the Stacks Pack, you get to rest assured knowing that by joining, you are making it possible for me to make this show every single week. It's all of that for just $5 a month. So head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Shout out to our newest members, Maya Williams, Samantha Crockett, Amanda, Gina Nicole, Kelly Tommen, Hannah Twillman, Olivia Bush, and Chrissy Whitley. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks Pack, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. I could not do it without you. All right, now it is time for my conversation with Sola L. Whaley. All right, everyone. I'm so excited. If you have been following me on Instagram, if you have been paying attention to me at all in the last, I don't know, three months, you know that I read a cookbook in 2023 that I am 
obsessed with. It is by Sola L. Whaley. It's called Start Here. And of course, because I love it so much, I had to bring Sola onto the stacks. So Sola, welcome to the stacks. Thanks for having me. And wow, there's so many tabs. There's so many tabs. You've actually read the book. Oh, not only did I read the book, I read the book cover to cover. Then I went back. Like I just read it like a book. Like I was like, let me just like read it. Uh Then I went back and I was like, okay, well, what were the recipes that were exciting to me? So then I went back through all of the recipes and I flagged every single one that I was like, let me cook. And then that first week I cooked six of the recipes like in two days. And then a few days, I've cooked a few more since. So I think I've cooked like nine of the recipes. I'm planning on cooking something tomorrow from the book. I love it. I'm obsessed with you. So that's why you're here. This is just me fangirling over you and the book. But for people who have not read Start Here yet, can you just tell them in like 30 seconds or so about the book? Well, well, first of all, most people make one recipe maybe. So those people are not cool like me. Clearly. (laughs) Um, And uh, the cookbook, I think, is for someone of any skill level who just wants to know more. Because I kind of give you little deep dives about technique and science. And so if you are a total beginner, there's something in there for you. And if if you're a seasoned cook and you just really want to level it up, there's something in there for you. So yeah, I don't know. You describe the book for me. You've you've probably read it more than me. I'll describe it for you. I'll (laughs) describe it for you. This is a cookbook that I agree. It's for anyone. However, I will say as a pretty good cook, I will say if you're brand new to cooking, you will have to do a lot of the recipes multiple times. Like it really is something that if you're new, you're going to want to get your skills together on this book, which is why I love the eggs chapter because I'm like, yes, eggs are cheap. You can fuck them up. Mm -hmm. And I think what I really like about the book and what I appreciate is that you do a great job of explaining the why behind things, um, which I find really helpful because I don't actually know why I do a lot of things in the kitchen. Just someone told me to do it. Um, But the example that I've been using for people is you talk about heating up the pan and then adding the oil later. And I know that some recipes, they tell you to do that. Some recipes, they don't. And you explain why, which of course, as soon as I say this, everyone listening is going to be like, this is so obvious. But the reason you do it is because if you're cooking something at really high heat, you want the pan to get hot, but you don't want to start cooking the oil because then the oil might burn. So you add the oil in right before you add the food, which of course makes so much sense, but I just never knew why. And so this book has had so many aha moments for me. That's wild. I don't even remember that. <laughs> oh, it's in the like hot, it's in the hot heat chapter, like with the steaks and the spatchcock oh, chicken sense. chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, but, been so long. Oh I've God. forgotten what's in it. <laughs> well, I haven't. I think about it every day. I'm like, what can I learn from this cookbook? Um, will you explain, folks, how it's organized, like the ten sections, and and just a little bit about like the concept of the book? Well, each chapter is focused on one technique. Um, And at the top of the chapter, it gives you like all the information you need to know about the technique before we head into the recipes. And the recipes are really there to help you learn the technique. I mean, of course, they they are just recipes, too. If you don't want to get into like the nerdy stuff, you can just pick out something to make for dinner. But you can also work your way through the recipes. They go in um, order from easy to hard. And then the idea is if you go through that whole chapter, if you work through all those recipes, you're going to be a pro at that skill. And then you won't need recipes anymore. And I will be out of a job. 
I don't believe that second part because I read Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. We did it on this podcast for our book club. And I was like, I don't need recipes anymore. I've learned everything. And now I'm, I just get like attached to the recipe. Like even though I know how to make food and like I cook a lot and I know what to do, I'm still like, oh, I only have three quarters of an onion. Like this recipe is ruined. I have to go to the store to get a quarter of an onion. Um, So I'm one of those people. I just, I like to be told what to do. I think it's because I started cooking baking and Mm -hmm. baking, you have to follow a recipe. And I learned as a child that you have to do that. And so I'm like, a recipe is, it's not a suggestion. It is a like treasure map. And if you do go off the path, it's over. No, that is true with baking. And I'm really glad you follow the recipe because you have no idea <laughs> the kind of comments I get on some baking recipes. Uh, if you are going to like make a baking recipe and you're going to like change the flour for almond flour, cut the sugar in half, add raisins, you're not allowed to leave a review. There should be yeah. <laughs> like a, like a, before you write a review, they should make you go through a questionnaire and be like, how much did you change this recipe? You are not allowed to complain I am not I am not responsible for the outcome of your pound cake that you didn't put butter in. Yeah. My brother does not he does not bake, but he likes he likes a snickerdoodle. That's like the one mm. thing he really likes. And one year he and his wife, they went to make snickerdoodles and she was like, Oh, will you help me? And he like did it and they came out really flat. And she's like, What happened? We followed the recipe exactly. And he was like, Oh, well, I mean like I did like a cup, but like I didn't like flat like he like didn't know to like flatten it out or like anything. so it came out like all messed up they tasted fine but they were like they were pancake size they were like really flat uh-huh. and like wide um but wait but speaking of baking in this book we get 50 50 cooking and sweets you are oh, my yeah. hero I keep forgetting about that like I'm bearing the lead <laughs> I feel like well I mean I don't know it feels like revolutionary to me because so many cookbooks don't do that. It's like you get, you know, 90% cooking savory food and then you get like a cake, a cupcake, a muffin and a cookie at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And this book is really like we get some candy making, we get homemade sprinkles, which that's on my to-do list. Well, I think that those techniques, all the baking techniques are really important. Um even if you don't want to bake a lot, learning those core sweet and savory techniques will make you better at both. Like you may not ever make brittle or caramel for a dessert, but it is a fantastic technique to have in your back pocket for savory food. Savory caramels are like, whoa. So I want people to focus on all of these techniques. They all deserve respect. And, and you should you should be able to walk into a kitchen and do everything. I don't like this like divide of I'm a dessert person. I'm a savory person. We can just let go of the binary. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> That's right. Free free your mind, people. Mm-hmm. You can do it all. And I think like, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that that sort of divide is much more common and like precious in kitchens, like for restaurants. Mm-hmm. I think most people that I know who are at home cooks, we sort of do it all mm-hmm. because... We sort, I mean, there are people who are like, I don't really bake, mm-hmm. but even those people probably like make a chocolate chip cookie here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In kitchens, it's very strict. Um, I started out on the savory side. And then when I started out, this is wild to me because I did not start out that long ago, like 15 ish years. 
And back then I was often the only girl. Wow. It was, it's like, whoa, the world has completely changed. Now it's like 50, 50 in most restaurants that I walk into, but I was often the only girl. So they would, if they didn't like, I don't know if someone was short on pastry or they just like didn't know what to do with me. They'd be like, go over there and roll truffles because you're a girl. So you should know how to do that. It was just assumed that because I was a girl, I should do pastry. And it really pissed me off in the beginning because I wanted to be like, you know, hey, I'm a girl, but I I can use knives. Uh, (laughs) But ultimately, it ended up being kind of a good thing because I ended up being able to do everything. And I had a lot more opportunities. So I, I actually was a pastry chef as well as a savory chef. And when I worked as a professional pastry chef and I developed my own menus, um, I incorporated a lot of my savory skills in there. Like half of the desserts had vegetables on them, mm, which annoyed some people, but it's cool yeah. now. It's not cool to me. I'm like, I'm an aggressively <laughs> anti-vegetable person. I, I eat a vegetable, but I don't love a vegetable. Like it's just not in my heart. Though mm. the carrot recipe, the like charred carrots uh-huh. on the like yogurt or whatever, that's going to happen for me. That one's um, really that good. looks delicious. That looks really delicious. And wait, wait, how I mean, do you uh, feel about potatoes? I love a potato. I don't consider okay. a potato a vegetable. I know that that's a kind of a self-serving take, but I really like potatoes. And so I don't think of them as vegetables. <laughs> it's a good like gateway vegetable. Yeah. And like yeah. a lot of the things that you do to potatoes, like roast them and mash them, You can also do to other vegetables. So like maybe try it with a potato first. And then when you're feeling adventurous, I don't know, bust out a turnip, cauliflower. Not a turnip. That was really a hard turn for me. That's like on the (laughs) bottom of my list. I feel like for vegetables, potatoes are the top. One of my favorite vegetables, though, is bok choy. And I did Mm -hmm. make your spatchcocked chicken with the potatoes. And I did the the bok choy to do the schmaltzy. Oh, nice. Delicious. Delicious. I was so proud of myself. I literally kept going into my refrigerator, opening the refrigerator and being like, look at my dry brining chicken. Like I just kept, I was like, look at it. It's getting so taut. Look at all that liquid coming out. It's just taut and amazing. And then I like cooked it and I kept like showing my kids. I was like, do you want to see our chicken? Look at mommy's chicken. Mommy's chicken. I was so proud of myself. Wait, um, I gotta ask though, yeah. was that recipe, did that feel too difficult? Like flipping no. the chicken over? No. No, okay. Do people think it's hard? Well, I mean, it's no. a little—it's a little scary because it's hot oil, you know. Yeah. Well, I was but, thinking about it recently. I, I made all these recipes like three years ago, so it's like really right. my my recipe writing has evolved. Um, so I was looking at it recently, and I was like, I think I can make this easier because it is a lot. You got to have two cast iron skillets. You got to flip hot oil. You need to have tongs. So I like wonder if you feel like the payoff was there. Oh my god! Yes, it was like the great. It was like the greatest recipe. I felt so proud of myself. I have to tell you, like, it was just like, you know, I think one of the things about like at home chefing that has become really popular is that everything has to be easy and able Mm -hmm. to be done in 30 minutes. And while uh, as a mom of two four-year-olds who has her own like job and company and like I'm busy, my husband works out of the house, like, you know, it's not like we're, I'm sitting around all day cooking. There is a lot to be said for making something that took time and effort and energy that I can be excited about. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about your book is that like some of the recipes are really easy and quick, but some of them like do take time and you have to think about them and sort of plan. And it's a little bit challenging in a way that 
I really appreciate because if I am going to cook and I'm not just going to make like pasta with butter on it for my kids, Mm -hmm. like I do want to feel like somebody clapped for me. I did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I really like that about that recipe. It's like, I made this on a Wednesday. I know it's a Monday chicken, but I got started late. So I made it on Wednesday, (laughs) but like, I really was like, wow, I made this and it, it only took an hour day of, but like, I was like, wow, I really did this like great, nice dinner. And so I'm actually really grateful that there was a little challenge and like a little, you know, balancing all the timetables and everything, which you lay out really well in the book. No, that's nice to hear because it's something that I constantly struggle with uh, because it does feel like everybody wants everything to be like one pot, one sheet tray, 30 minutes. And you are very like, I just don't like to cook like that. I didn't grow up eating like that. Like I grew up eating traditional Bangladeshi food, which means there's like eight things on the table every single day. Right. So it is like, it's, I feel like I'm constantly going through this thing in my head. Like, is this too hard? Is this too easy? Is it even representative of my food perspective anymore? Um, Well, that's what, I guess that's sort of my question, which is like, how do you, how do you know what makes a recipe good? Like, what are you looking to, to know when your recipes are done? And do you ever pull something back because it's too hard or you're using too many dishes or, you know, like people will be frustrated or do you ever feel like, you know, you take out an ingredient and you know, this isn't going to be as good, Mm -hmm. but like people won't hate me as much (laughs) if I take this like difficult step out. So how do you balance that? Well, it is, if you have unlimited resources, like all the time, all the equipment and all the ingredients, it's very easy to make delicious foods. It really is like, like, it's like kind of like we do this, uh, Pam and I do this thing with like New York Times mystery menu. And, and we do have a one hour budget, like time budget, but there's no other budget. So we'll just be like, hey, let's get caviar and truffles and bone broth and all this stuff. So it's like pretty easy to make stuff delicious. So right. I think a good recipe is when you can take like five ingredients, like really give, I like to give myself some kind of restrictions. Like I cannot use this piece of equipment for this recipe. I think mm. it is kind of, magical and really impressive when you can take a few things and and a limited amount of time or resource and and make something fun happen but I do like to give myself like one thing so if a recipe doesn't use a lot of equipment or ingredients I'm gonna let myself have time so that's that's kind of the deal with the lemony potatoes I think that's a fantastic recipe doesn't have a lot going on but you need it it takes some time in the oven you know Mm. and then on the other hand if it's like fast and doesn't have uh, a lot of equipment, maybe it'll have some fun ingredients. So there's like, it's like, I guess, striking this balance to make something work for the majority of folks. But I would love to make a cookbook that's just all hard recipes. (laughs) See, I would be into that. I think like, I mean, so the way that I actually came to your work was a few years ago, I think 2021, um, one of my good friends, she used to work at the infatuation and now she owns like a little shop called Big Night in New York City. And she and I were like hanging out and I was saying, you know, we're doing Thanksgiving. What do you think? Whatever. And we're talking and she's like, well, why don't you spatchcock your turkey? And I was like, I, I'd never even heard that word before. And she's like, you cut out the thing, you break the thing, it's flat, like whatever. She, I was like, Catherine, there's no way I could do it. She's like, listen, there's this woman, her name is Sola Awaley. <laughs> she has a video on it. Just watch it and see. And I watched your little video and I watched you maybe on like 
the Today Show maybe talking about it or something. Mm-hmm. Like 10 times, I ordered my turkey. I made the guys at the Whole Foods do the actual spatchcocking because oh, nice. I was too scared yeah. to do it. But I cooked the turkey. It was the best turkey I've ever had in my life. And I was like, whoever this woman is, she is my new <laughs> hero. I just like, it, and and the reason I'm saying that is because it seemed really hard to mm-hmm. me. Like I had failed roasting a full turkey so many times. Not fail, but like just not great, you know? And I was like, this is really hard. I'm going to try this new thing for Thanksgiving. Like who knows? See if Catherine's an idiot or not. See if this solo woman's an idiot or not. <laughs> you both pulled through amazing for me. And it again was like that feeling of accomplishment in the kitchen. And like for me, I just think that's really important because I'm not a chef. I'm not a cook. Like this is something that I like to do for fun. And so if the recipes don't have that element of like exciting fear and maybe you're going to fail. I don't know. It just feels like very lackluster. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my intro to you. So I associate you with spatchcocking. And so that's why I wanted to start with the chicken in this book, because I was like, worked with the turkey. You know, I love that because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And I would really like my goal is to usurp Martha Stewart as the queen of Thanksgiving. I don't know I love how to do this, but I'm putting it out there. Okay. I am a foot soldier on in this, in this for you. I will lead anybody anywhere. I'm with you because I, I don't love Thanksgiving, but I love everything I've ever made that you've made. So if you're leading the way on Thanksgiving, okay. you could take me, you could take me to the Thanksgiving promise land. I didn't um, do anything for Thanksgiving this year because of the baby. Yeah, um, but I'm so ready for next year. The rest of the okay. development has begun. Like, oh my Martha God, I can't needs wait. to watch out. She needs to. She's had her time. <laughs> we like her fine, but she's had her time. Wait, I want to ask you about the baby, um, if that's all right. Yeah, Which totally. is, how has having, you have a three and a half month old child. How has that changed how you think about food, feeding people? Has it changed that for you? I know with three three months old, maybe, you know, she's not, per, they're not eating like, food food yet but they will be and I'm just wondering if like it's shifted how you think about feeding people it it actually really has um I I've been great at like I, I can feed other people I can have you over for a dinner party I can do something like that like elaborate but I'm really bad at actually feeding myself mm. and you know I get a lot of like it's like one of those things like when my husband is home alone he will make himself food and eat properly and be a grown-up but when I'm home alone (laughs) I won't eat anything or I'll just have popcorn there's like all this guilt for me um around you know like I like I think it's a girl thing it's it's like we're trained that we don't deserve a good meal Mm. and we don't deserve to to really feel full Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was pregnant and now that I'm breastfeeding, I really have to nourish myself cause that's what's feeding the baby. And it's made me really think differently about food. So mm-hmm. I like, I, I tell myself like, it doesn't matter if no one's home. I have to, I have to make sure like I eat breakfast, I have lunch. I need to make sure that I'm getting my nutrients in for this baby. And it really made me realize that I was eating so poorly wow. that it was scary it's really scary because people assume that when you have an eating disorder you're going to be really thin but Mm. that's often not the case right so you don't really know what's happening in someone's mind or body based on the way they look yeah so I feel like I'm dealing with a lot of that now I'm I'm I'll be interested to watch your journey as a food person and a parent because 
I feel like so much has changed for me about how I think about food and cooking, but also like the pressure of food for, I think specifically moms Mm -hmm. is really intense. Um, And there's so many people online who have so many opinions and share them, not like in the comments, but just like, you know, this food person or this and like having your baby eat this and have it and like all of that stuff. So I'll be really interested to watch and see how, if at all, like, you talk about it or if at all it comes up for you and like because kids are hard Mm -hmm. everyone's like oh just give them a lot of food and they'll eat everything Uh I'm like okay my kids were eating like curry powder this and that and now they're like if it's not a quesadilla it's not happening lady you know know, I've heard this yeah absolutely happens after two and they just want to fight you on everything yeah it's called they get a personality Mm -hmm. and they get opinions Mm -hmm. and the most important thing in the world to them isn't food even though that became the most important thing in the world to me with kids was like feeding them. Like that's what I cared about more than anything else. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, okay, I like quesadillas. I eat a microwave quesadilla almost every day for lunch, speaking of not feeding ourselves well. Um, And so I'm like, you know, quesadillas are fine. (laughs) Well, I was a really picky eater. Yeah. And it worked out fine in the long run. Well, I know your book's full of not picky eater food. So I feel (laughs) like you've definitely broadened your palate. I'm still working on it. I want to talk about the organization of this book visually. There are some sections where you have like pictures, like these grids where it shows you like Mm -hmm. each step, what it's supposed to look like. And then there's also like more traditional pages where you just have like a picture of the meal or the dish or whatever. What was the impetus behind doing like the grid pictures? Well, I knew initially I wanted to make sure in each chapter that one key recipe was going to have process steps like that for you to help for help to help you visualize the the technique better but we actually shot everything in our home and mm-hmm. when we were like in the process of shooting we were like oh we're just we're cooking it right now let's just like shoot all of it and in my mind I was like yeah okay yeah we'll just stick a camera on it shoot all of it no big deal and I didn't realize how that was going to exponentially become more difficult down the line in the production of the book so like mm-hmm. we actually ended up shooting I don't remember the exact number, but it was well over 10,000 photos. Wow. Um, and then that meant we had to go through 10,000 photos and make selects. And then it ended up being a few thousand in the book that then had to get placed in the proper like order and edited and cropped and all this stuff. Right. So it like really, really got away from me. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it it really helps because I I'm someone that I really struggle with like, understanding what a recipe often says like how brown how how brown should this look how much should this cook down so like I wanted to make sure and capture those key moments with photos so that you can be like oh when she says char she means char so you can like know you're on the right track I often get like pictures from friends who are cooking and think they've messed up and one of the main places where people think they've messed up is people often think that they've burnt something and I'm like Mm -hmm. no 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 that is a perfect sear yeah, I think the pictures helped so much. I can't remember which recipe it was. I, maybe it was the brown butter banana bread, maybe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But there was some recipe where I was like cooking it and I was and I was reading the recipe and I read it like four times. And I was like, I feel like I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. And then I turned the page and I was like, oh, here we are. <laughs> Thank you. Because like sometimes the, the way that things are described in the kitchen, it's sort of like describing music. It's mm-hmm. like it's hard to do because – music is something you hear and food is something you taste and you smell. So like when you give a, like a written cue for something, it just doesn't always translate for every 
for for at least for me all the time. And so having the pictures like, oh, this is another hint about like being on the right track. Mm-hmm. Also, it's just beautiful. Like the book oh, is right. so gorgeous. I I like it's just it's like such a document of like the kitchen to me, which I just I really love. I just love I love the book. I'm like I just love <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Um well, that's because of Laura Murray. She, that's who your was that she your designer? She was the photographer photographer um and she's an amazing photographer so really everything we put in front of her we didn't really do any food styling and all of the stuff that we used was our own equipment she's just like so amazing a lot of people try to rip off her style like now that you've seen the Mm. book you're gonna notice it other people trying to do it but she's technically able to capture every single detail with so much precision that it doesn't really matter what else is happening but we yeah. also had an amazing designer, Chris Cristiano, who I worked with at Bon Appetit, and he's currently like the visual director for Netflix. So oh, wow. uh, I feel very lucky that he said yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just so beautiful. I think like two really good people then because it, they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you have your recipes tested? Mm. Who tests them? Someone besides you? Do you test like how many times before you're like, OK, we got it? Well, I'll work on the recipe until I feel like it's good, until it's done. And then uh, both my husband cross-tested everything, as well as an outside cross-tester, Ali Slagle. And for the cross-testing process, what they do is they cook through the whole recipe, and they'll take note of everything. Like, they'll make sure that the quantities are correct, that, like, that four potatoes do equal one and a half pounds or whatever I wrote, that it actually took eight to ten minutes to sear something, they also will make sure that it, it reads well, that it makes sense, that, that it, they understand it. And then Ham also, so Ham is my husband and he's a really good chef. So he's like maybe too good to be a cross tester because uh-huh. everything is easy for him. <laughs> so like I'll say that a recipe takes 45 minutes and he's done in 10 minutes. So he didn't really oh. cross test for that, but he, he was more helpful in helping me like make sure that the flavors worked. And then mm. Ali Slagle, she works, she does, she's a freelancer who does a lot of recipes for New York Times. And she has a cookbook uh, called I Dream of Dinner. She has Substack. Okay. It's great. But she, she, she more represents the home cook because she likes to do really simple, efficient recipes. So she was the one who was telling me, this is too many bowls. Oh, interesting. Or I don't want to wash a rack. So uh, it was really great having those two perspectives to make sure things that. were working. And it was really fun having... Allie test as well because she doesn't have as much baking experience so this was like her first layer cake and her first time making pie and it all worked out so great so I that gives me hope that it will work out in other folks kitchen I'm intimidated by the layer cake I gotta be honest I'm not I haven't quite gotten the courage I thought I was gonna do it this week my kids birthdays this week as we're recording and I just decided I can't I can't do it. I'm not ready. I'm I need time. <laughs> We're recording this the week of Christmas. I've done the banana bread twice. Don't okay, worry good. About okay. It. It's so delicious. you know how to cream. You, you've got the creaming. I know down. how to do it. I'm just, I feel intimidated because your cakes are gorgeous. I'm just <laughs> so stressed about it. Yours is um, me too. Okay, well, I'm going to send you, I'm going to be harassing you. I'm going to okay. be like, look what, look what happened. Um, wait, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished, 
and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. So I mentioned we're recording this at the end of December, but this is airing in January. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this in January is because new year, new you, I'm going to start cooking, I'm going to cook more, cooking resolutions, food, etc. What do you say to new year, new you cooks? What advice do you have for them? What is your what are your thinking about people who maybe made resolutions to cook more, cook at home more, eat out less? I, I don't know. I've heard all of them. Eat more vegetables. Me. <laughs> Every year, my same resolution <laughs> never works. I think the g- general thing for all resolutions is to be practical. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're going to be able to be like, I'm never ordering out again. Right. Or I'm going to become like, a vegetarian overnight. I think it should be like simple, executable things. So you don't disappoint yourself. Kind of like when you're starting working out, you know, I always make a mistake where I'm like, I'm going to work out every day. And like this time I'm like, I'm going to work out three times a week. And I've been able to maintain that. (laughs) So I would say maybe try and make a deal with yourself to like cook on Sundays. Like if you never cook at all, maybe like try, try once a week. Or if you don't really like vegetables, pick one vegetable that you're going to get to know. Maybe one a month. Maybe like this is the month of broccoli. Okay. I like this idea for me. Yeah. 
Broccoli is a great one to start. Broccoli is like very diverse. You can do so much. I with like it. broccoli. Broccoli's one I'll eat. Broccoli is a fantastic vegetable, and you can learn a lot of culinary techniques with it because it does well charred, it does well steamed, it does well sautéed. It it's a great soup. So um, I don't know. Keep it simple. Keep it chill, okay. and like equip yourself. I'm feeling inspired by one vegetable a month to really like yeah. get in there with. I got to find the right ones though. Cause like I tried to cook with leeks a few times. And no, let me tell a, you, I don't like vegetable. leeks. Leeks are gross. And it really upsets me that you can't eat most of it. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I made up a recipe. I saw a recipe online and then they didn't actually put the recipe, but I couldn't find it on their website. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to try. And it was not great. Uh, but also it could have been great if I had the recipe, which is why I'm not going to name the chef or what it was because I don't want them to feel bad about themselves. Cause I did, I did the thing like I'm going to take raisins and add it to this uh-huh. because I didn't fucking know. Yeah. Um, I do like that advice. So like starting with something really manageable. Um, I want to ask you, so you're also, people know you from a lot of your like online content. You make videos. Um, you you were formerly at Bon Appetit famously, which I do want to ask you about. But before I get to that, what for you is the biggest difference from online video content and the book? And do you have a, did you have a preference? Well, online video content is very fast the best videos are the shortest ones. So you end up losing a lot of nuance and detail and Mm. end up like you can't, you can't get in there and really explain to someone why are you craving this butter and sugar? So I liked that with a book, you can like really get into the nitty gritty. And also with online content, unfortunately, the thing that really sucks about it is everything's got to be like trendy and you got to put a million herbs on something and you need to think about how it looks more than often how it tastes. You really start right. with like the title and the look of something for online content. But with the book, you already bought the book. I can give you real recipes that are going to actually be helpful in your kitchen um, and not worry about what's trendy. So that is like kind of the thing that I really don't like about online stuff. But you have to do both these days to like I have to give you trendy fun recipes with too many herbs online in order for you to buy the book <laughs> with the recipes that you'll actually be able to make. So the recipes in the book, I think, don't look as like sexy but they're practical because real food isn't meant to be photographed, you know? Right. When you were writing the recipes for this book, were you challenging yourself in any ways? Like were there recipes that you had to work on a long time before you were ready to put them in the book? Or are these a lot of like your staple recipes because it's more about like technique? Well, I guess the challenge was really to have the recipes both um, teach a technique, try it, to have it be like interesting and delicious and also have global representation. Mm. So that was, that was hard balancing all those things. There was a lot of spreadsheets all over the apartment. I'd look at it every day and be like, we're missing, we're missing a taco. (laughs) So that was really what was hard. It was like putting together a puzzle. Was there, is there anything that's not in the book that you wish you were able to find a place for? Yeah, there's a lot. I can't think of anything now. There are like obvious things that I miss. Like, why isn't there a burger? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I wish I had that in there. I really wanted to put fried chicken in there. It's something that we make a lot. But I actually cut out the whole frying section because it's not yeah. it's not an essential technique for the home cook. But I, I as a Bangladeshi, like culturally, we deep fry like a lot. I'm scared of frying so can you do a frying cookbook because I feel like I would trust you to take me to the frying oh a whole book on frying sounds so fun 
I don't think my yeah. publisher is going to be into that. Tell, well, tell them that I, a book person, think <laughs> that it's missing on the market. Okay, who's your publisher? Not Knopf. I love Knopf. Let them know okay. we need a frying book. Okay. Tell them I sent. Tell them I said so. <laughs> I love frying stuff. I could do it all day. I'm scared. I'm scared of hot oil. I'm just like, I'm such a scaredy cat. I know that like real chefs, you all have burns all over you. And, you know, the people who do the, the ovens, they have just the scars on yeah. their wrists. I'm like, no, I don't want to get hurt. You know what I think it is with, with burns and with cuts? You just got to get a few and then get over it. And then you don't feel them anymore. I like burned myself yesterday. Ugh, no, I, I'm too much of a baby. Wait, so can I talk about something mom related? Yeah. Uh, so... Since I'm breastfeeding, I have like huge boobs that I'm not used to. Oh, did you burn your boob? <laughs> yes. Oh on the pods because I'm not Ow. used to them like protruding so far. Oh um, my God. So we're working on that. See, it's hard being a mom. It it's is, like yeah. shit like that. Nobody, none of the books are like what to expect when you're expecting. You're going to burn your boobs uh-huh. because you're breastfeeding and you're mm-hmm. a home, you're a shot, you're cooking. Um, yeah, that's actually incredible. Uh, I'm sorry though. I'm sorry that you hurt yourself, but yeah, that's my fear about frying. It's like, seems too dangerous, too hot. Like when I was reading your sugar candy chapter and it was like, sugar is hot. I was like, Oh, can't cook any of these things might get burned. Sugar is much more dangerous than a deep fryer. Yeah. Well, that's what I read. I didn't know that. So now I don't, I, I can make caramel that I do, but more like a caramel sauce, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like high anxiety now. I've wanted to do the popcorn, but you can do we'll it. See. You can do it. You just, think so? Yeah, just make sure the kids aren't like, that's really important. Get everything cute out of the apartment. You don't want like a yeah. kid running in the way while right. you're playing around with hot sugar, but yeah. just get a few burns. You'll be, over, you'll get over it. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't know about this. We'll see. <laughs> I'll report back, but seems unlikely. Um, one of the things I love about the book, and as a, as if you can't tell, a bit of a perfectionist type A person, is the get loose and the what went wrong section. So in uh, for some of the recipes, you have these like little inserts are kind of like fun colors and it'll be like get loose and mm-hmm. for example there's like shortbread and mm-hmm. then there's like this crumble and then you make these little shortbread bars which I made which were delicious I did the jam with the rainbow sprinkles for my mom's birthday what jam? and I did strawberry jam the like pop tarty ones uh-huh. I did strawberry jam traditional bottom sprinkle topping crumble with I did like the jam powdered sugar topping uh-huh. I did everything you nice. said nice fucking delicious though my mom was like these are too sweet I'm like that's fine I'll eat them um she's like not that into sweets but my kids wanted to pick what we made so they were like we want to make the anyways long story but after that section you uh, after the shortbread you're like what went wrong and it's like it was too crunchy it was too crumbly and then you explain it like what could have gone wrong and then you have a like and then later you have like get loose and it's like add chocolate to the shortbread or orange zest or whatever. And then you have like an orange creamsicle this or a lemon maple this. I'm making it up as I go. But (laughs) where did those ideas come from and both the get loose and the what went wrong? Well, that's really how recipe development works. The fact is there's like there's like just a handful of things out there and recipe developers just, you know, reassemble the same Mm. idea over and over and over again so I want you guys to be able to do that yourself you know get in there and experiment because when I was a kid I was really really when I first started cooking I was I was a kid and I was really really scared and I needed to follow the recipe like how you mentioned earlier 
I ha- you know, the three quarters of an onion and running out yeah. to get a quarter of an onion. I want yeah. people to like, let go of that. It took me a while to let go it's of hard. that. But it, it's going to be okay. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of why the get loose is there. So you can loosen up in the kitchen and have more fun. Um, and then also I like the, I, what the hell happened section is nice because I've had all those mistakes happen. And also because I get, because I'm online, I get a lot of feedback from folks who'll be like, mm-hmm. what happened? This looks like this or that. And oftentimes you can figure it out. And it, if you can pro- like problem solve after you've made a recipe, instead of like giving up on the recipe, if you like think about what happened, try and figure out what went wrong and then go back and do it again, it's going to make you so much better as a cook. You're going to really be able to understand that recipe inside and out and it yeah. will help you in the future, even when you're not making that recipe, because a lot of the things are, a lot of the mistakes that happen are the same across a lot of recipes. Yeah. I fucked up the focaccia. It tasted fine, Mm. but I didn't let it proof long enough. But you Mm -hmm. had in the, in the, that baking section, like the bread section about proofing. And I didn't really, I didn't know that term. And like, I didn't know like this is what it looks like when it's too long or not long enough or whatever. And so that was really helpful for me. So I got to do a second shot on my focaccia because it tasted fine because it's like, you know, flour and water, like it's going to yeah. taste like bread and it had like oil on top and it looked <laughs> great on the outside, but it was too dense on the inside. Mm-hmm. So that I think means I underproofed it and needed yep. more time to get like airy and bubbly. Uh-huh. Um, but I wouldn't have known that. I would have just been like, oh, this focaccia recipe is weird. It's like not that good. But because you sort of explained it, it really helped me. And it also, again, like challenged me to be like, okay, I want to do this again. I got, I want to get it right. Like I really want to get this right. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate you like, cause I just don't ever think like you're saying, I don't really ever think about like what went wrong. And I think one of the things that again, appreciate about the book is like, it is teaching me a lot. And it's also teaching me how to think about cooking and like how to think about getting better at this skill set as opposed to just thinking that it's like the recipe or being like, oh, I don't like that recipe. Um, so because I feel like that's what, a lot of times what people do. Is no, like, that's what everybody does. And yeah. like, all, all, most of the focaccia recipes are the same. Yeah. So there's like a slight tweak in hydration or the folding or some people fold different yeah but like all focaccias are the same honestly well after I fucked up the bread I like sat there and I kept it was for my mom's birthday and I was like see it's something's wrong with this like I messed it up so you see like I didn't let it proof long enough it's too dense and she's like it tastes great I'm like I know it tastes great but it's, there's it's wrong it's wrong and then I watched like eight Instagram videos of other people making focaccia being like, okay, that's what I'm looking for. Like I got to do it again. And normally I never would have taken the time to do that. i just would have been like, I don't know how to make focaccia. It's not that good at home. I'll just go down the street to Moza and get some, you know, like I would have just uh-huh. been like, this is something you buy. This is something you make. What do you feel like was the hardest part of writing this book? And what do you feel like came easily for you? I mean, the writing, I just didn't like the writing. Yeah. <laughs> I hate writing. I do too. Uh, it's horrible. But like, what's that quote? Like, I hate writing, but I love to have written. Yeah, I've heard that. I hate writing. I hate to have written. I like to read, which is why I'm not a writer. Uh, um, but yes, I do know people say that. They love yeah, it. Yeah. It, something like when I, I like was looking back on, I think I posted on like my stories because I was making key with my mom. And then a bunch of people were asking me what the difference between tea and clarified butter is. So I posted this like page from the book that explains it. 
And then I was reading it and I was like, who wrote that? Whoa, <laughs> I wrote that? Those words came out of my brain? So it's like, it's like writing is such a weird thing because I don't know. I, I have no memory of it happening, but I just know that it felt terrible. Every step of it felt terrible. Yeah. It sucks. But it's like, it's a dumb job to complain about because yeah. I'm at home. You know, I'm in the comfort of my home with the computer. It's really pretty easy in, in a lot of aspects, but I, I'm not someone who really likes to work alone and writing is a very solitary thing. Yeah. I also don't like to really think too much. Like I don't like to be in my head. It's like I not see. a good place to be. I see. I see. There's so much darkness in there. <laughs> I'd rather be cooking. I found the cooking part easier. The cooking part's easy. Mm-hmm. So then how did you write? How many hours a day? How often do you have music or not? Are you at home? Are there snacks? Are there beverages? Are there rituals? Sort hmm. of set the scene. Well, so the first year I didn't do anything but outlines. Wait, how and many I'll- years did this take you? Three. Okay. So the first yeah. year you just outlined. Lots of outlines and a lot of spreadsheets and like a lot of things on the wall. And I would walk <laughs> by it constantly and be like, just like stare at stuff and a lot of phone calls with my editor. And I just did a lot of research. Like I would just like spend a week reading all about butter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that, that part was fun. Like the hanging out and reading part. Like that's pretty cool to have your job be like nerding out about pizza or whatever right right so I just did a ton of reading and then um made really detailed outlines and then then I did the recipes in about three months but I had like detailed like I had written all the recipes beforehand I wrote all the recipes during that year but then I didn't actually go cook them until until the time pressures really started hitting me right right. um and then the, the recipe development happened pretty quickly and then we had to go right into the photo shoot Got it. Because um, I had all these other video shoots happening. So it kind of forced me to get my act together. Um, so the photo shoot was uh, three weeks. And then after that, I had three months to finish all the writing before it had to go into post-production and editing. Um, so all of the writing happened in like three months where I didn't sleep. I didn't leave the house. I didn't bathe. <laughs> I like I, I mostly like wrote at night for some reason that's like what works best for my brain so I would just be writing all through the night and then I would just like cry all day <laughs> <laughs> were there snacks and beverages involved in the writing it's like just whiskey got it okay just like a lot of whiskey and pot okay and tears and then <laughs> and then when I submitted my manuscript I was like the most I've been burnt out before but it was pretty pretty bad I was just like I couldn't like move or talk or do anything so I had a whole month where my husband had to like escort me into the backyard and I would lie there and and recharge (laughs) (laughs) and then it was back to work and then it was all the editing design post-production and then it's like another full like nine months for the printing process right you've talked about your husband he's a chef so this is I guess the age-old question what's it like having two cooks in the kitchen Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen people talk about like how they fight in the kitchen. We don't fight in the kitchen. We get along really well in the kitchen. And there's video evidence of it yeah. on our like YouTube series. So yeah. it's very collaborative. And uh, oftentimes what we do is we, we trade off kind of like a relay race situation because it's nice to have all the space to yourself. Yeah. Um, 
I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but famously in 2020, you talked about uh, BA's test kitchen and like racism and inequality. And people can go back and read about that and talk about that if they if they're interested and they're not familiar. But what I'm wondering about is almost four years later, what are you seeing in American kitchens? Have you have you noticed a lasting change? Do you feel like things have returned to what they were in 2020 and before? Okay, I have a couple of thoughts on this. So I feel like a lot of outlets, like a lot of the big conglomerates are doing more diverse recipes and accepting um, pitches from different people who they might not have before. And I think that's really cool. And that's really great. Um, and I love seeing like now if 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 New York Times wants a, a recipe for like an Argentinian stew, they'll actually get an Argentinian recipe developer, which wasn't the case for a very long right. time. Right. So I think that's awesome. but. I go on like Google trends to see what people are actually searching for, what the audience is searching for, what recipes get the biggest hits. And that hasn't changed. Mm. Like in December, the top hits, it's just like four different recipes for prime rib. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think we're all going to get there. It's going to take a minute. It's great that like these new cultures and voices are getting more opportunities but the audience still just wants prime rip right so it'll take a little bit of time okay so let me ask you this because i think i think you talked about this um with sam sanders years ago who's a pal and a friend of the show and who i adore but i feel like one of the things and i talk about this a lot in books like one of the things that has been frustrating for me as a black woman and like person in books, which is also a notoriously racist, white-centric, people-want-the-same-bullshit space, is that I am now able to be, like, an authority on Black literature, mm -hmm. but, like, I'm not still not really, like, allowed to be an authority on, like, what white people are writing or, like... So I'm wondering if you're noticing that people of color are being given permission to you know, maybe a Korean person is given permission to make an Argentinian stew. Um, and like that there's actually opportunity for cross national recipe. Cause I think to me that feels like the real sign of diversity is like mm -hmm. that we're all given the opportunity to do these things. And like, I understand cultural appropriation is a huge, big issue, but I also think that if it's done well, you know, there shouldn't be limits on who can cook what if it's done from a place of like acknowledgement and also, you know, accreditation and respect mm -hmm. and not being like this, this Argentinian stew is actually now called like festive stew, you know, like, <laughs> or whatever. So I'm wondering what, what you're seeing, if anything, kind of in that world. Um, so I, I was interviewed about this, like, in when my husband and I had a restaurant that closed, it was like in 2016. And um, we felt really frustrated because people expected us to make food that uh, food that that seemed like it was from our culture. People don't really know where we're from. You know, they okay. just guess. <laughs> <laughs> she looks Indian. He looks yeah. Mexican. Yeah. They don't know. <laughs> so we were really frustrated about exactly what you're saying. Like in restaurants, chefs, white chefs can make whatever they want and they can be a respected authority on it. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I just want everyone to be able to do that. Like I, I worked for Pak Pak a while back, um, which is an amazing Northern Thai restaurant. 
that was oper- operated by a white guy. And it was, it was incredible. And he was so respectful about the way he presented all that, all those foods. I don't think it was cultural appropriation at all. He even didn't call himself a chef. He just said he considered himself a translator, you know, of these traditional dishes. But I, I do want to see everyone being able to do that. And I don't, I'm trying like really hard. <laughs> That's why there's so much different food in my cookbook, but I don't see the audience being accepting of that quite yet. Um, and, and especially when you're starting out, oftentimes the best way you can get a byline is to just like, Hey, I'm Bolivian. Here's a Bolivian dish. Unfortunately, that is still like the easiest way to get in. And I wish it wasn't. And I don't know if we're making progress there, but I'm trying like personally with what I'm doing and I do get a lot of flack sometimes. People will yell at me and be like, why is a Bangladeshi making an Indian dish? And it's like, guys. Right, <laughs> right, know, right, right. It's very frustrating. I feel like, so a friend of mine, he's a he's a chef and he's also like a designer. And one of the things he's really interested in right now is this like sort of, I, I live in LA and the way the food scene in LA kind of is playing out is there's this like new sort of like hyperfusion stuff going on where it's like, mm-hmm people are taking techniques and ingredients and mixing and matching and sort of like melting pot food, which I think like people might be more familiar with like, um, like David Chang as like, but like he's not doing nearly as much as what people in LA are doing now. And I'm wondering like what your, what your thoughts are about that of like sort of just taking ingredients and techniques and, and mixing it up and trying to create new sort of, non-location specific food Mm -hmm. well it has happened like throughout history anytime people move somewhere they take their food with them and it becomes part of like where they are now um and it's just happening now on this like really intense level because everything is like we're just so global right now like someone could be listening to this podcast across the world and we've never had a time like that before and i think it's um freaking some people out you know like I think it is. I think it's incredible that you can learn any technique and get any ingredient anywhere, but it is causing food to change at a rapid pace. And I think it is, some people are embracing it. I'm definitely on the side of like embracing it. We have this real, our pantry is so fun. It's like (laughs) what I've always dreamed, dreamt of my whole life. But I think for other folks, it feels like they're losing part of their heritage and it's Mm. kind of causing this increasing nationalism in food. Interesting. As far as ingredients go, like how much were you thinking about what is available for people and like how expensive ingredients are and, and that part of all of this? Oh, I was thinking about it a lot, a lot. I wanted to make sure everything in the book you can make with whatever you can find at a local grocery store anywhere in the country And I really did want to stick with affordable stuff. And the few times I ask you to buy something specific or expensive, I I hope I explained why, you know, like, like saffron, it shows up a few times because it's important to me. Sitar's in there as well. Uh, So I, I, but I didn't want to make it too crazy because I do think it's kind of frustrating when someone gives you a book and there's like one recipe with preserved lemons and then you don't know what to do with it for the right. rest of the bar. <laughs> right. Right. I think you also have like the steak, the steak one, which I made, you were like, you want to use, like, if you use this, like, be careful, do a good job. Cause it's expensive. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, 
I always ask everyone this. What is a word you cannot spell correctly on the first try? Thorough. Ooh, it's it's an insane word. I despise (laughs) that word. Um, And then similarly, is there any food that you feel like you just cannot cook? Like you just cannot, you've tried it, you cannot get it. It's just like your nemesis in the kitchen. Um, Let me think. Hmm. Huh. You're thinking a lot, which makes me think that maybe you can cook everything. No, well, I, I'm just, <laughs> there have been times where I've made something bad, but then like I'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. But I don't know if there's something that I've made. But bad there's no like, or like a technique, again. like a technique that you just cannot master or like, what's like the thing that frustrates you most, I guess, in the kitchen? <laughs> I guess, you know, uh, grilling can be tough. Yeah. It takes a minute to get your heat right. So if I haven't grilled for a while, that first time you light up the mm-hmm. grill after the winter, it's always a little rough. Yeah. And then and then you you got to get back into the groove. You get back into it. I I don't grill. That's like the one thing I don't do. I've never tried. I don't know how to turn on my grill. <laughs> We're gonna get that down for you. Hopefully okay. for the next book. Okay. Yeah. I, I need grilling next. I got um, Brizia Lopez's book, Asada. And so I made a bunch. It's all about me- Mexican grilling. And I made mm-hmm. a bunch of recipes from that a lot, a lot of them actually. And they're all really delicious. But I actually made my husband do the grilling part because I was like, I don't know how to grill. So I did all the prep, all the like marinade, uh-huh. everything. But I was like, okay, here you go. Good luck. Don't fuck it up. Okay. <laughs> I'll get there. Um, so my last question for you, or my last two questions for you is for people who love start here, what are some other cookbooks you might recommend to them or other books about food or anything that are maybe in conversation with what you've done? Well, I mean, I think the obvious one, uh, salt, fat, acid, heat. Yeah, for sure. You gotta get it. For I sure. Everyone's already got that book, right? I know. Well, we did it on the everyone podcast the here. So if you ha- were not listening in 2019, now is your excuse to get it, read it, and then come back and listen to our episode. And I also love um, Harold McGee's On Food and Cooking, which Ooh. is more about science and there aren't any recipes in it. But if you want to learn more about food science and technique, that's a good place to go. Okay. That's a good one. And then my last question is, if you could have one person dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be? Oh, maybe I never met my maternal grandfather. Okay. But yeah, that guy. Okay. I hear you liked books. Okay. I love this. I love this. (laughs) Well, Sola, thank you so much for coming on. Everyone, you can get Start Here wherever you get your books. It is big, beautiful, delicious. I can vouch personally for like eight of the recipes, but by the time this airs, I probably will be able to vouch for a few more because I have my eyes on those carrots. I'm going to do the cake eventually. I'm doing the everything cookies later this week for my kid's birthday at school. Uh, They want sprinkles and chocolate chips, and I might add some other things in there. I haven't really decided, but um, I'll keep you guys posted. Uh, Sola, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Sola Elway Lee for joining the show. I'd also like to thank Selena Medlantike for helping to make this conversation possible. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for January is Erasure by Percival Everett, which we will discuss on January 31st with Zach Stafford. If you love the show and you want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. 
Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, Threads, and TikTok, and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. You can also check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 